0: Hello, welcome to episode 14 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 26th of June, 2017. I'm Joe, and with me are Jesse. My head still hurts. Failing Evening, Governor. And Ike. I have no intro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. So this is a little bit of an unusual episode in that we have just done Fos Talk Live. You've probably heard us talking about it on previous episodes, so we'll be hearing the live show from that in a bit. But we thought we'd do a couple of news stories first. So let's talk about Debian. So they recently released Debian 9 Stretch, but it didn't go to plan, did it? Somebody forgot to include a library, so it didn't decompress. I don't know how somebody
1: forgot to include a library, and I don't know what they were testing up till now for ISOs, but
0: yeah, whoops. So they're to do a point release of the ISO. I don't
2: want to be mean here. Um... (laughs) But it wasn't the ISO tested before, you know, releasing it. Apparently not. So why would you release it? I mean, was, you know, actually starting up on boot a stretch goal? Excuse the pun.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
2: (laughs) Meow.
0: So why wouldn't even run in a VM or anything then? Um, Well, I mean, I'm reading the log and it's just like, nope. (laughs) That's weird. Surely they would at least spin it up in a VM, if not have some sort of test machine to try it on first. I mean I presume that you do that IQ with your ISO releases. Yeah, I mean you you wouldn't want this to happen. <laughs> it's sort of embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, it's like putting out a podcast and not listening to it first to make sure you didn't fuck it up.
2: Obviously, I'm not trying to insult them, you know mistakes do happen, but Well, I'm sure if Richard was here he would tell us which system to use. Open QA would dissolve this I <laughs> believe.
0: Well, it probably would have, wouldn't it?
2: Yeah. I mean, it does actually catch stuff like this. You know, there's a boot sequence. And basically, it comes down to having the right QA processes in place, right? Up or down, it's QA processes. You would have... Because I know I'm going to insult people by saying this, but you think somebody would have fucking caught this? I mean, obviously, they did. Just, you know, after.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it didn't take them long to put the point release out, to be fair. Yeah, to be fair to them. But what's this hyper-threading business all about yeah so it looks like cpus are are broked
1: and they've been broked for a wee while and if you can't fix it with a firmware which for certain models you can only get if you're a system builder then you have to disable hyper threading um some fellow who was one of the developers of oh camel where art thou uh he managed to discover it when he was trying to do some compiling. And things weren't working out properly. Um, so there's a bunch of different processors that it affects um, from Intel. Some of the Skylake and KB Lake. And, Kaby Lake, and uh, yeah, oops, again. <laughs> but this doesn't just affect Debian, does it? No, it affects anything. Anything that uses hyper will get affected by it if you've got the particular model.
4: So I guess your processor has to be doing something that requires hyper-threading to be going on. If it's just, if you're just doing day-to-day things it's not a problem, but if you then push it and that hyper-threading is, is used, then this is where you get problems.
0: But isn't just running a desktop using hyper-threading? Well,
1: it, it, it looks like it doesn't always show up. It looks like there's particular events where it doesn't seem to happen. Because it, it wasn't one of those things where what was it, the old, one of the old Pentiums that couldn't do floating point numbers properly or something like that, and it used to constantly fail. Uh, it's not like that at all. It's It does seem to be
0: non-straightforward to detect, but it does definitely happen all right. So what's the worst case scenario here then, just corrupt data and stuff?
4: Yeah, I mean, they, they describe corruption uh, of with running programs and also possibly data loss, so, and, you know, abnormal system behavior. So, I mean, if you're, losing data then that's probably one of the worst you've got isn't it
0: well it could be worse it could fry my processor
4: yeah but then you wouldn't have a processor that's got this bad um situation so it's sort of <laughs> so, <it'd> a <laughs> <fix>. yeah. <laughs> so yeah these are from um september 2015 and there's a fairly easy you know uh, command to run to check if one of the processes that you have in your machine has this Uh, hyper-threading and therefore if you're uh, vulnerable
0: I'm fairly sure that mine is but I haven't had any problems and now I'm starting to worry (laughs) I mean, oh yeah, Mine's a 7th gen i5 a 7200U You should just run this command mate we'll sit here and wait and see what happens
1: (laughs) Or maybe there'll never be a podcast because it'll be
4: mangled (laughs) (laughs) Yeah Uh, Yeah, why are you doing the backup recording?
0: Suddenly you're on like (laughs) shaky ground (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah my my processor is on this list, so hmm i don't know i've not had any problems yet so what what's changed which one are you on uh k b like seventy two hundred u so
1: i'm gonna put out a thing here where don't listen to anything Phelan says as the basis on your support but maybe the intel microcode pa- uh, package has taken care of it for you automatically if you don't have a like a fully open uh distro um like I mean like Triscale levels of freedom you generally will have the microcode package enabled which allows the kernel to be or sorry not the kernel but the actual processor to be patched because there's software that runs inside it as well so um they can fix all that sort of stuff so generally you've got that enabled by default and it's the I think they used to call it what driver jockey or something bizarre uh in Ubuntu I think um That was something that we used to pop up and say, oh, you want MP3, and you want Flash, and you want the proprietary graphics driver if you've got it. And the microcode was one of the things that got added to that as well. So I I would imagine you probably have it fixed. Right, yeah, because I've got the Ubuntu kernel. What about
2: what? Why do you do the kernels on that? Um, So this isn't specifically a kernel thing. The kernel enables this to take place. Uh, the, The microcode is loaded at very, very early boot. Best way to describe it is effectively it uploads it into the CPU. Yeah. a very early boot to do it permanently, like in a proper persistent fashion, you would have to effectively flash your your firmware. So you can get one of the vendor tools. You know, you just update your firmware that way. And there's already updates out for this. If you use the Intel microcode package, which if you are using Ubuntu, would most likely be installed, and that would come through as a hardware enabling update. And they've done that for quite a way back already, you know. Like even on the older uh, Ubuntu distros, they're still getting the hardware enabling updates. This is something that would come through on those. So once you boot up, you know, you can actually check it in d message as well. If you pipe d message to grep and just look for microcode, you'll see something about a loader, and then it'll even tell you, you know, like it's uploaded, blah blah blah, revision blah 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 into it. So it's very very easy to check if you've already got the microcode stuff working. So in your case, it would then just keep updating. So the moral of the story is Debian is too free. Um, I think Debian has it as well, though. In their non-free repositories, but if you have a pure Debian system, it's not something that's ever going to be as part of a default installation. They also don't have automatic driver tools in terms of jockey-like tools where you have the detection and suggestion, because invariably you're going to be suggesting a proprietary driver. And that would go against what Debian stands for, which is, you know, free stuff. So while they'd have it in the non free repos, it's never going to be in a default installation. So you'd have to go out and install the package. If you're on Ubuntu, slightly different story. <laughs> you know, they're not quite on the same wavelength on that. And their tools enable and install that kind of stuff automatically. And yeah. Yeah. Well, my pro tip is
0: if you want to install Debian, go for the non free ISO. And then you don't have to piss around trying to get your wireless working and stuff by loading extra drivers, unless you've got a Triscoll-friendly laptop, of course. So let's talk about mobile then and Firefox Focus, which is their new browser for Android. It's been around for iOS for a little while, a a version of it. And now we've got it for Android. And I'm very impressed with it. Who here has tried it?
4: Yeah, it's slick, isn't it? It's quite... It's elegant in the way that they've implemented it in its look and design. They've got rid of tabs and things. I think you just basically get a single browsing window, don't you, Joe? Yeah, essentially. And so that sort of, while it people might be, you know, scrunching their face up at how on earth can you have a web browser that doesn't have any tabs, but actually, you know, makes the the UI a lot cleaner and and slicker. Um, and it it blocks tracking ads by default. Um, it can block analytic trackers and social trackers and and when you've finished your browsing, there's a, a permanent bin button uh, on the front as so you just press that and it'll delete all your cookies and any other um, information that might have been collected during your browsing history. So it's it's aimed at uh, privacy. But as you say, Joe, it's, it's quite slick looking and, and quite fast.
0: It's like incognito mode on steroids, isn't it?
4: Yeah, yeah. And the uh, I think they might have taken this from um, a film, Browse, arrays Repeat. Isn't that the tagline from a... Uh... Who's that little tiny actor who does uh, Mission Impossible?
0: <laughs> Tom Cruise.
4: <laughs> yeah. Isn't it like live, die, repeat or something? I
0: have no idea. You're talking about a Mission Impossible movie?
4: No, no, no. It's the one where it's like the Groundhog Day where he keeps on uh, getting killed and waking up again.
0: Uh, d- 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 oh, yeah, with uh, Emily Blunt. Yeah, it's got a bird in it as well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredibly sexist, Jesse. How dare you? Phelan, have you tried this then? <sighs> Well, they also have a project
1: with millions of pounds offering how to make the web desensorized. Well, I've got a suggestion for them. First off, stop releasing it first on iOS, and then also stop releasing it only through bloody Android App Store and the uh, Apple App Store. How about putting it through F-Droid? Because then maybe some of us who actually care about things like this could try it.
0: Oh, no, I had incorrectly assumed that it was on F-Droid. Yeah, no, it's not. Well, this
2: raises an interesting <laughs> question. So it's available on iOS, yeah? Well, it's not exactly the same thing, but it's similar. Right, well, that's what I was going to get at, because if you go on the Apple platforms, I think we even spoke about this last time, but you have to use their web engine. If you're doing anything on Apple, you have to use their web engine. So if it's Firefox on and Android, it's not going to be using Firefox's engine.
0: iOS, sorry. Yeah, well, even on Android, though, yeah, it's not using um, Gecko. It's using WebKit.
2: So... (sighs) It, it, this is going to sound really cruel, but is the name itself an oxymoron indicating that perhaps Firefox have lost theirs?
4: <laughs> <I don't remember. laughs> they do seem a bit ADHD, don't they? And there's always a story yeah. of like Firefox is now making some videos of something. or or Firefox on they're...
2: mobile, you know, uh, Firefox on tablets or Firefox OS for mobiles and then no Firefox. And then to come along with Firefox focus when you clearly have none? That is a good point. However, this is a really good browser. Would you recommend
0: it, is the main thing? Never mind what Mozilla do. I would definitely recommend it. How can you have a browser with no tabs? Really, sorry. Well, that's Mm. the one thing it's lacking, right? But let, let me just say this. For what its purpose is, it's like Unix style. Do one thing and do it well. Completely private browsing that you can completely delete with one touch of a button. Uh, even stuff like i I'd dig through the options and it even um you know uh what, what's the the recent apps button when you press that you get thumbnails of each thing you get a generic thumbnail for that who knows why that might be useful <coughs> <laughs> but you know it's it's supposed to be doing one thing and it does it bloody well it's the fastest browser i've ever used on android so it's better than my samsung internet browser that's pre-installed Yes, just a touch. Okay, well, I might have to
1: replace it. So I'm using lightning and within one button, I can go open
2: incognito tab. And that does it really well as well. <laughs> we need to go back to the glory days of Oprah mini.jar Opera. That's what I said, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> You're on my side. Love it. <laughs> and it plays animated pictures as well, of which there is no acronym Jeff. Well, I am
0: (laughs) really hopeful for the future for this. I really hope that they add tabs to it. And then it could be just a, a standard browser for me, I think, because it's just so fast when you want to quickly look something up. Okay, when you want to have cookies and stuff, you want to stay logged in. But if I want to just quickly research something, this would be my go to browser if it had tabs. It sounds terrible.
4: So, the, the launch page is just a uh, a search bar. And as you type it in, it goes straight to Google and searches for the thing you've typed in. So, you don't even have the like a grid of, you know, recent places or pre populated with Facebook or the other adverts they used to have and what have you. Um, but if also they've said that if there are things that fail because you've got all these blockers turned on, you can go through and individually turn them off. And then, you know, the website you're trying to look at will populate in the way it should.
0: Yeah. Um, all right, well, uh, we are not doing much news this time, but we're going to get a bit of a scoop here by the looks of things. So, Ike you have decided to appeal to Unity refugees with a pretty big
2: budget update.
3: Well, I mean, I wouldn't...
2: Yeah, no, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> 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 They're trying to think of, like, some bullshit leading, you know. But yeah, no, that was basically. It. so I mean, the story is supposed to be that we're supposed to wait for Budgie 11 and then we make desktop great again, TM, um, but you know, there there's definitely problems with an existing Budgie 10 and let's be straight, it's going to take me a while to write Budgie 11, right? It's just common sense and kind of got sick of some of the issues that exist in Budgie. So it was Monday last week, like literally a week ago, it was like, Hey, let's have a week hacking on Budgie. You know, what's the worst that could happen? So instead of doing a 10.3.2, it'll be like a 10.4 or a 10.5. Um, I've fixed all the popover crap. We was using GTK popover before, and basically it would mean your menu might appear from the bottom, it might appear from the top. There was loads of little glitches, really horrible stuff being completely replaced around custom widget. Performs a lot better. I had someone, uh, well, cyber was testing it on a really slower computer than mine. And like the FPS is absolutely fine. we got vertical panels as well now. So you, you can't just have one panel. You don't even have to have just two panels. You can have four panels for the price of one. And you can have vertical panels, horizontal panels. um There's a nightlight applet as well, which lets you control the new GNOME night stuff. Did I just say GNOME? I actually said it right. Wow.
4: That's good. I've, I've been, uh, Using that nightlight, it's really good. So, really helpful. It's on now. In fact, it's uh, not late on Linux, and um, <laughs> it, it's surprising when, when you when you unuse it when you turn it off. It's <laughs> surprising how glaring that you know your web browsers have become. Stuff. So, uh, nice addition.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've been using it to simulate actual daytime. <laughs> <laughs> just turning off during the day it's like oh Christ that's what I it feel it's, like.
4: it's how you get your vitamin D isn't it from the monitor
2: yeah you know, <laughs> just sit here all day and say oh I, I may have to take it easy now you know too much of the old UV <laughs> <laughs> and so you can have a unity style layout then is the bottom line yeah kind of so you can have like a left panel you can have a top panel you can put the two of them together and then have the budget menu sort of slide out to the right from it and stick the icons on the left Because it's not just like having different panels, the applets then have to support them. And they was all designed to be horizontal only, (laughs) which led to some interesting bugs. It's like, oh, that's a rectangular panel. (laughs) Is it vertical? Is it horizontal? It's a bit of both. So they've all been designed so they can dynamically update to where the panel is on the screen. And it manages them all nicely. And One of the things that stopped me doing it before, apart from the excuse of Budgie 11, uh, is Raven always used to come out from the right-hand side. And it stopped me for ages, like, how am I going to have a right-hand panel if there's effectively already a right-hand panel by way of Raven? Yeah. And then I went out for a smoke one evening, and it was like, oh, yes, sausage, of course. Make it appear from underneath the panel <laughs> and anchor to the side of the panel. It was so obvious, but it took me ages to figure it out. So if you've got a right panel, it will like cling to the side of the panel, slide out from underneath it. But if you've got a left panel and no right panel, then it will slide out from underneath Cling on to that edge. So it basically anchors itself in the most appropriate position. So now you can focus on having lots of horizontal space and you can just have like, um, effectively your system controls all in one area instead of having huge long horizontal panels because like I've got a widescreen 28 inch monitor here. It feels a little bit silly having this one really long panel across the top when I could just have this one on the left, which is closest to me and I just have Raven there. So. All of that and a load of bugs fixed, and it's going to be landing around the end of the week after I've got some secret ISOs out to my lovely supporters. Okay,
0: cool. And also the menus got a bit of an update then.
2: Yeah. So funny enough, one of the bugs I found, because you type in DIS for displays, and you think once you got to S, it would show displays in the menu. It didn't. And I thought, well, originally I put it down to it's like, well, you know, it's just, it's broken. It's just stupid or whatever. It turns out that all of the GNOME control center items and now say GNOME. I don't know which one to use. The big G. When, <laughs> when you're using the big G control center items, it turns out if you actually cat the file, if you don't open it in something like gedit, why does everything now start with a G? Anyway. If you open them up in a text editor, you can't see it, but it took until I actually did like a cat of the file itself. They have an invisible hyphen, a Unicode character. I don't know the name for it, but that's so that they can reflow the text better in the big G control center. I couldn't see it was there, but the, the text itself is basically DIS. Invisible hyphen, <laughs> and then P-L-A. It's like, that's why I couldn't find any of these items. So I taught it about that and basically poured it across the logic from Brisk, you know, to actually search for things and show them in a sensible order instead of just randomly pushing them higher up in the list. So it now behaves a lot more like Brisk menu does. And people seem happy enough with Brisk. So I was like, okay, we'll just use that again. When do we get in the whisker
0: menu? when do we get in the whisker menu um so on that
2: no <laughs> actually, somebody did ask I know it was a little bit off topic, but somebody opened a GitHub issue the other day, and I'm assuming English wasn't their first language because they were talking about tattoos. I'm assuming they meant logos, but they was asking me if they could stick a tattoo on the panel to open whisker menu in x f c e on budgie. <laughs> At which point my brain just started to melt a little bit. And I was like, why have I stopped drinking recently? (laughs) I could take up this sport again to cope with events like this. You stopped drinking? What's wrong with you, man? Yeah, I haven't been out in... Oh, Jesus, no. Uh, When did the Queen come in? No, No, I haven't been out in about two... I've been out, but I haven't gone to the pubs or anything in about two months or anything. Yeah. Yeah, it's been quite a while. That's probably why he didn't come to fast Talk Live then. Yeah, sobriety. You know, I mean, between that and watching everybody, I'm watching my figure. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, Ike, I'll watch it for you. Cheers. <laughs> That's the right <laughs> answer.
0: <laughs> right then. So, this episode of Late Night Linux is sponsored by Entraware. And Entraware are a company in the UK who actually care about Linux. They sell laptops and desktops and a server pre configured running ubuntu or ubuntu mate 1604 or 1704 and they've got a huge range of machines and like i said they actually care linux is going to properly work on them and not just ubuntu that they come with i've tried all sorts of different distros on my ether and they've all worked perfectly you don't need to have some custom kernel and stuff like that so if you're looking for a laptop, anything from something quite basic for a bit of web browsing all the way up to something really powerful with discrete graphics, the latest NVIDIA cards that are going to allow you to do graphic design and 3D art and machine learning and video editing, that sort of thing, you're bound to find something at entroware.com. And they ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And because they're a relatively small company, if you're looking for something specific, if you want something customized, then they'll do that for you. On the website, when you go to buy one of the machines, there's some basic customization, adding RAM, different size SSDs, that sort of thing, a couple of different processes usually for each machine. But if you get in touch with them, they're really good at responding and they can customize something for you and make sure you have a great Linux computing experience. So go to entroware.com and if you do buy something from them, there's an option at checkout to tell them where you heard about EntroWare. And if you put in late-night Linux there, they'll know we sent you. So yeah, go to EntroWare.com for all your Linux computing needs. So a little bit of admin then. Thanks to everyone for supporting us with PayPal and Patreon. It's very much appreciated. We don't name names unless you specifically want us to. But uh, you know who you are, and it's you know we really do appreciate it. Uh, if you want to join those people, then go to latenightlinux.com slash support for the various options there. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact and slash telegram for our telegram group Uh on the contact page is email and stuff like that as well. But telegram's where we hang out. That's where all the cool kids are. And Joe. Oh yeah. And me as well. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> so, okay. On to our fast Talk Live thing where, uh, uh, well, I'll explain on the thing, iKey wasn't there, but uh, the picture at the very beginning of iKey, I'll put in the show notes or a link or something, and you'll see why everyone's laughing. So, yeah, here we go. Hello, and welcome to Late Night Linux at Foss Talk Live! So, I'm Joe, and with me are Jesse. Hello, everyone. And Phelan. Hello. And unfortunately, we've got no iKey, Um, Although he did send a message for us. My new job as a chimney sweep financially limited my ability (laughs) to travel to London. Press it again, please. (laughs) It's like he's here. Yeah. So it's not going to be a normal show for us where we do news and stuff. We're going to split the show into two sections. The first one is uh, the good and the bad of Linux. So what we like and what we don't like about Linux. So... Jesse, let's start with you. What What do you like about Linux? What's your good thing?
4: Let me check my uh, laminated
0: show notes. So
5: <laughs>
4: it's it, it's the fact that you've got nice, usable, uncomplicated software in a single place to get it from. So when I came from Windows across to Linux, I opened up the software center, and I typed in you know, uh, images, and you've got all the various image viewers and image editors, and you could pick and choose. And what I realized after picking and choosing two or three is that you don't get all the cruft and the crap and the stuff that you don't want when you've come from Windows. You've been searching around for that EXE and you eventually install it and you get all these weird things pop up the next time you start up your computer. You get all, you know, your Internet Explorer has is, is got this horrible stuff on it. And actually, you don't have to pay for anything. none of those freeware and things. And so you, can, you have a, a nice, easy place to go and you can choose the ones that you like. You can delete them if you want to and what have you. And, and the fact that you, you have this place in the software center that, that allows you to get stuff and you can pick and choose is was, was fantastic.
0: You say you can delete them, but try deleting one thing from Ubuntu and it just rips the whole desktop out. <laughs> but
4: that's not that's not a program that you would use. That's you know, the, the whole desktop. So I mean if you're if you're trying to pick a you know, an MP3 encoder you type in mp3 and you've got this, this list that you want to look at. And I, I thought that was a, a great differentiator between how Linux works and, and how Windows works. Were
1: well, you not confused by the choice? No. All that serial.
4: What I don't understand <laughs> what I don't understand, is that people sort of say, oh, you don't need a software center because you just type apt-get install or pacman.syu you install, in my view. And I think you do need a software center because then you can filter and find things that you didn't know. Like if you suddenly took up mountain climbing, and there was like a mountain climbing bit of software somehow, you could just type in mountain and you would find it.
1: Well, how
0: would the software work exactly? <laughs> Tell That's, me more.
4: I'm not a developer. That's not a question I know.
0: <laughs> All right, Phelan, what's your first one that you like, or what is the thing you like about Linux? Uh, it's a bit heady, but um, for me, back in
1: uni, in the days of your um, access to proper info was the big thing. Um, you know, you had books, they're about 60 quid a shot. You needed about 20 of them if you were to get all the right ones for the year. When I started uni, you didn't actually get internet access at all. So, and most of the time, you didn't know what to fucking look for anyway because there was nothing out there that you knew. You know, search engines existed, but what, AltaVista or something, God knows, I can't remember. But um, for me, now it's uh, just the amount of info that you can get access to, decent info. And the only thing that limits it is your own laziness, really, if you choose not to look for stuff. So you can watch the YouTube
4: videos, but actually opening up the terminal and doing the typing. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, you know, I didn't do uh, computing at uni, but for, for ditto, but for engineering, like you, there's a there's a high, entry, uh, high barrier to entry. Whereas with Linux, there isn't really a barrier to entry because you can find it online and you can find a lot of information. And, and like you say, if you, can, if you put in the time and do the legwork, you can work out how all these things piece together.
1: Sort of.
0: You are the limit. Yeah, there's a lot of legwork. Yeah. All right, well, my one. We, we were supposed to put these in a doc beforehand, so we wouldn't have the same thing. And I'd swear yours wasn't that, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I read it wrong, because my one is transparent updates, basically. The thing is that with Windows or Mac OS to a slightly lesser extent, or Android, when you get updates to things, if you get updates to your operating system or your applications, you basically have no idea what's happening. Whereas with Linux, you get a clear idea if you want to. You can have as much idea as you want. You can have it completely opaque with the software center saying, this update is available, and then it just updates it for you. Or you can do it via the command line, as I tend to. And I think, okay, well, why is VLC being updated? Or why is SSL or whatever? And then if you want to take it that extra level, you can go and read the, the change logs and read what bugs are being fixed and whatever. Whereas if you're on Windows, you just you press update and then just hope for the best. W- whereas with Linux, it doesn't matter which version of Linux, which distro, they're all pretty much the same, that you have this transparency. and so. That is, for me, the best thing about it. And it's kind of similar to what Jesse was saying with the the package management generally. I suppose that, yeah, you could combine the two of us there and say that it's just the package management as opposed to just downloading random executables off the internet and then running, you know, a snap install, the thing that you've uh, downloaded. Ooh. But, I mean, you you know,
4: Windows gets updates. You don't have to download random things. You could, you could, buy, you could get or buy all of
0: your software from, from Microsoft and it would all get updates. Yeah, but you still don't know what's happening. When it's updating, you know that there is an update available. It's, you don't really know how long it's going to take and it just updates itself. Whereas with Linux, if you want to, if you care enough, you can find out exactly why it's been updated and work out roughly how long it's going to take. And do you? Do you do look at what the updates are going to be? Yeah, I don't look in as much detail as looking at change logs and stuff, but I do. I don't use the dash Y, for example. I always look. Okay, these things are going to be updated. Oh, it's a kernel update, so I'm definitely going to have to reboot. That sort of thing.
4: Yeah, there's a benefit to installing and updating on the command line. You get to see all the changes that are about to happen. Because the number of times that I've gone to accidentally install something, well, purposefully install something, obviously, but not realizing that it's from the dreaded KDE side of the fence. And it pulls (laughs) in, like, a thousand things. Fuck you. (laughs)
5: Welcome
0: to the family-friendly podcast. (laughs) Who said that? (laughs) We're not family-friendly anymore. Not this year. But do do you know what I'm saying here? Everyone in this room must have felt the pain of installing Windows and then pressing update. The fact that Windows Update runs on a 56K modem and takes
1: about three hours to get one fucking update, whatever that update is.
0: Yeah, and for me, security updates are the key to security, obviously. Like, if you don't keep things up to date, then your software isn't going to be secure. And so that's the first thing I always do with any operating system, on, you know, whenever I turn on a computer, that's the first thing I do, check for updates. And I just love the fact that in Linux, it can be so quick, rather than my experience with other. Y- you, know, it, you can download an ISO, say uh, 16.04 or 14.04 or whatever of Ubuntu, and install it and update it in a few minutes, and then be ready to go. Whereas with Windows, you're looking at a couple of days if it's an older version. <laughs> Are you laughing? Am I wrong? yeah because you've got to man it to restart it and turn it off and turn it on again yeah yeah exactly um right uh, so that's the positive bit out of the way (laughs) (laughs) 10 (laughs)
5: minutes
0: we had to start on a positive note didn't we uh let's talk about what we hate about linux or what we what we slightly dislike so uh i suppose start with you again jesse
4: yeah so you you've Sit around for a couple of weeks, and you ponder as you're using Linux what the things that you enjoy are, and, and where you sort of banging your head against the wall. And some things I, I wrote down and thought maybe I can't go do that or this or that. And I have to admit, it's the terminal. And the problem with the terminal is that there's too many nuanced little things. The terminal itself, fine. You know, my my use of the terminal has increased massively since Raspberry, Raspberry Pis came out. I SSH into all of them. I don't have any head end headends. So I, I just basically SSH into them, front end. And I uh, I am therefore on the terminal a lot. And I'm writing all these bash scripts for the Raspberry Pi because I haven't upgraded to uh, Python yet. Um, and so I, I know there's no barrier because that's one of the best things about Linux. But yes. I could do if I put the time and effort in. Um, and so I I end up with all these weird bash scripts. And I find that if you SSH, it's You know, sorry for for copying. It's a it's a lowercase r for recursive, Um, and with ls it's a capital r, and with something else it's you know you have to type in the whole name. And when you do scp, it's a different one. And there's so many little nuances to it. And if you use double quotes, it expands it. If you use single quotes, it expands it, but it doesn't do it in a certain way. If you use backticks, it expands. It's just like why am I having to put backslashes when I put a space in? Like, just these things that you think, oh, why can't it be... I, I enjoy it, but why can't it be that bit easier?
0: Well, let me just translate. I don't like Linux because it's too complicated.
4: <laughs> Every time I have to write a bash script, I'm, I'm online more than I am typing bash scripts. It's like, why does this not quite work to the way I expect it? Oh, I see. Yeah, okay, I'm supposed to have put a flag in here and not put a flag in there and done this and done that. I right, put it back in, dick around. Basically copy and paste until my bash script works. And it, it, it is a bit painful on the terminal, but I, I agree, it's one of the best things. That was my sort of issue with it, is it's one of the best things. It's one of the things that if someone's got a problem, you can generally get on the terminal and, and you know make things happen without having to know all the nuances between how KDE or um, GNOME or XFC or whatever you, how the GUI works you can always do it and irrespective of, your, of what is um what your foundation is so i know it is a good thing and i you know use it all the time and i enjoy it but i just find myself sighing quite a lot where there's another thing that hasn't quite gone right because i've not like put a slash in somewhere
1: just script it so you don't actually know what your own scripts do in a good year's time
4: you'll be uh, fine not even a year like the next day if i if i've sobered <laughs> up <laughs> and you, and you mm. look, you look back, and you're like, "Why was I drunkenly adding comments in this? Oh, what is? Why is that doing Just that?" Just keep drinking, you're fine. Oh yeah, some some of my best scripts will come out of that. Yeah, the Raspberry Pi out there is uh, is doing its thing from one of those. Maybe. Yeah,
0: maybe. Well, it did last year. We never released the video because you would never thought it was perfect enough.
4: Yeah, so I was trying to make a bash script that would cut crop the video to to pan, and it turns out that I'm not that clever at what I do or don't do. And so, uh, yeah, I never, never released it.
0: Right. Well, what do you hate about Linux, then, Phelan? OK, so
1: who here has a Apple machine that they, they can run Linux on it, or they can run OS X? That's fine. Uh, OK, there's less than I thought, because I was about to complain about you, so there's not enough of you. But, uh, Suspicious hands up from the Linux yeah, voice okay. boys there. Let's, yeah. uh, <laughs> So some of you people and others uh the fact that you just don't like freedom enough it, and it's a, it's a painful painful place to be uh, actually caring about freedom I find because I wish I could just sit back and go oh great the new version of windows or apple is coming out I can fucking queue like a bell end at 12 o'clock at night and get my latest shiny shiny and it'll be all brilliant but no I've stuck at home going, fuck this shit. I'm now fucking stuck in a whole pile of server upgrades I don't want to do, but I still feel I have to because it would be wrong not to. It's like you have to make the choice to either be free or you're you're just – no. if nobody else is going to do it, someone's got to I feel. And I wish a lot more people would do. Now, I know Microsoft tried to scoop me on this one by releasing – their source code by mistake (laughs) or or whatever they tried to do last night I'm sure that'll uh, be on our news on Monday uh, um, but I mean I don't know it's it's a painful world to be I think because a lot of times you get really disgruntled by like Wimpy had a keyboard that he needed or a caddy or something that you had to upgrade and you had to fucking install Windows 10 to do that that's fucking bullshit I'm fucking sick of that crap why the fuck we can't just get through things do things easily you know I'm not saying that they have to give all their company secrets away, but I just think a bit of a leeway with freedom would be nice where we could all just fucking work together on is, things.
4: Is your issue there that everyone isn't doing freedom or that the people who support Linux and, in, and use Linux aren't flying the flag of freedom? I mean, I can see you on your rock with your flag <laughs> waving in the air. I mean, the, po- <laughs> the people listening can't see it, but he's stood abreast of rock waving this flag of freedom. But I mean is it is it that our community isn't invested in in the the freedom part of uh the free software or is it that the world isn't invested in freedom
1: uh, it'd be nice if the world was but i'll i'll just take the community for a start because you know we have to try somewhere but i don't know it's uh it's just it's almost like we get distracted by the shiny first
0: and then after that maybe if we're lucky we'll get something else on top of that but isn't it a problem of pragmatism? Too much pragmatism and not enough freedom? If you're a big company, surely you can go to your OEM providers and say,
1: look, the bias does not need to be fucking locked up. There is nothing magical in a bias these days, surely, that could be done. Can't we just release an open bias? And we don't have to have Libreboot, which works on two laptops. If you're lucky, you can get them.
0: Yeah, if you've soldered them and stuff, yeah.
1: Yeah, and then it's three times more than a standard laptop. It just... Someone, if they could make a core system, that'd be great.
0: Yeah, fair enough. I, I do realise
4: that in this crowd, I, can we have a show of hands of everyone who hasn't got Google services on their phone? Hasn't got. Hasn't got. Okay. That that wasn't a... Huge... See? <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, how many people have got an iPhone? Yeah. Oh, man, that's a lot of hands. Okay, yeah, so okay. there's a few more. So, yeah, apparently I should have said phones rather than laptops. I forgot. I'm too stuck in my ways... Yeah. All right. So the thing that I don't like about Linux is that there's always a caveat. So when I'm trying to sell it to someone, you can sell it on the freedom, the security, the fact that it's going to be faster, especially if you use a proper desktop like XFCE. But then there's always a caveat. For example, there's a friend of mine. He is 70 odd and he doesn't know much about computers. He knows just about enough to get on Facebook and email and stuff like that. And he said that his laptop's really slow, and I've got an old laptop kicking around that I'm going to give him. And I've installed Linux on that for him. I think it's Ubuntu uh, 16.04. And I need to take That's it... What uh, went wrong. What, it should have been um, KDE Neon? Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, because that would have been really good. Um, on yes. a Core 2 Duo. Um, no. Anyway, so I've got to take it around to his. I can't just meet him in a pub somewhere. I've got to go around to his and make sure that his printer's going to work, for example, and that... Um, everything is going to work fine with his current setup. When he plugs his camera in, is it actually going to work? And, okay, fair enough. The likes of Ubuntu have probably, you know, if I wasn't using a a, a lightweight desktop, it would probably work a bit better, that sort of thing. But there's always that caveat. I I always have to ask someone, do you use iTunes? You know, have you got an iPhone? Do you use iTunes? If the answer is yes, then it's like, well, you're not going to be using Linux then because... There are ways to hack it, but there's not much point trying. I don't know. I mean, is is that right? iPhone users, do you basically have to have? There's nods, yeah. There's no, so you have to have a Windows partition or some sort of Mac to plug it into, and so it's just there's always that caveat. We just I don't know what it would take for us to get over that hill to the point where you could just install it in someone's machine and it will just work perfectly, because. I don't mind fixing little problems and and having to do a bit of terminal stuff here and there. But you can't expect normal people to do that. And until we get to a point where we are there, if we ever get there, normal people are just not going to use Linux because it's going to break in in different ways than people are used to. Because um, apart from Macs, which just work, I don't know, I've never used one enough to know. But windows is just a shit show how anyone uses windows is completely beyond me i mean i use it for a couple of things like printing for example because my printer just randomly stopped working when i updated ubuntu so yeah windows is just terrible and people have all sorts of problems with it and they just accept it i suppose but if you put a different operating system on their laptop they expect it to work 100 percent perfectly and when one thing goes wrong oh you've broken my computer and i I have had that with people and they've gone back to windows as a result of it which is pretty depressing really for linux as an ecosystem and as a community and so i i wish i had some answers but that's the one thing that i don't like about it you know i pick the secure updates as the thing i like most and don't get me wrong there are a million other reasons why i like it security and performance and all the rest of it but it's just just that one thing that that caveat to my sales pitch i can't in good conscience, put it on normal people's computers unless I can support them.
4: But you've mentioned some hardware issues there. There's printers. There's you know Apple devices. What have you? Is there anywhere that you've had real software faults? I mean, I can think of the majority of the world don't have printers anymore. Like, who the bloody hell has a printer? I go to work to print my shit.
0: And... Well, the, well, the fellow who I'm talking about is retired and prints out the Guardian crossword every day. He sounds like a hero. You should. <laughs> But so so there's printers, fair enough, but I would say the majority of people
4: don't have printers. They may well have iPhones or not, but irrespective, it's most people need the browser, and that's you know you hear it time and time again of you have a Chrome device or you just have your phone and you've got a browser, and you've got most of the world. Most of the things that people need a computing device for. So is there like is there that massive hurdle, or, or are there, are there specific uh, examples where you can think of other bits of software that aren't necessary or aren't uh, available?
0: Well, iTunes is a big one.
4: Yeah, but I mean, for my the starter that I went with was, I love the fact there's all this available software, and you, okay, I do have to install a few different things and find the one that works well for me, but I can find alternatives to most of the things I want. Do you think that people can't get over the hump of finding the alternative? Can't, can't get over the hump of using something different in order to even start that process of finding an alternative? Or are they more forgiving on Windows? You've said that Windows is terrible. Totally. Yeah.
1: You, you can do nothing wrong uh, with Windows, almost. They seem to just, there's a whole level of forgiveness that seems to be there for it, I find. Um, but the minute that anything goes wrong with a Linux box, you're, you're screwed, like.
0: Yeah. Well, you said, are there any other bits of software? And that is actually a very good segue into the second half of tonight's show. So let's talk about Adobe. Because I had a thought the other day. It was probably a shower thought or, or something. And it was... Picture it. I know. Picture. Don't get too excited. So I was thinking, what would it take if you had a meeting with the the executives at Adobe and you could go in there and you could say to them, I think you should open source Photoshop and all of your creative suite stuff. And this is the business case for doing so. This isn't about ethics or... The, the greater good or all of the fluffy stuff, hard economics, you should open source Photoshop, etc. and you're going to make more money as a result of that. How? Exactly.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, there we go. No, exactly, right? There's fucking no way. Does it edit pictures? Yes, thanks. Right. There's no way they would do it. They they couldn't. It, there is no, uh, as far as I can see, business argument for them to open source that software, or the same with Avid, with um, you know Avid video editor or Pro Tools or whatever, or or any of the um, the stuff that the Linux Voice guys use to make their <laughs> <laughs> s-
5: segment in a magazine. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's awkward. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if whatever it is, whatever that professional, whatever the stuff you're using to do your engineering, Jesse, um, that, that, those huge bits of proprietary software, um, the, the, I can't see a business argument for open um, sourcing them. So you, you could say, well, this is blatantly obvious. What the fuck are you talking about, Joe? What I'm it's saying to you.
5: Obvious.
0: What you talking about? <laughs> ah, okay. Well, that's the show over then. No. <laughs> So what I'm driving at here is this. If there is no business argument for existing software to be open sourced, then does that mean that the only business argument for open source applies to new software? And if that's not even true, then do we have a situation where there is no business argument at all for open sourcing software, and it's all just goodwill, community... All the fluffy shit and none of the hard economics.
4: So are you saying open source is in everyone can see the source code? Is that let's just define that?
0: No, I mean under a proper open source license, be it you know copyleft or permissive, but like not just a leak like uh you know or not, not like v bulletin, which is just ridiculous, this PHP code that anyone can see that is somehow proprietary. I don't mean that, I mean properly open source, like FOSS.
4: So Uh, Adobe release whatever software it is into the the ecosystem and someone can take that and then start using their software and not have to pay any money. And they then have to do something which means that that person is interested in paying money. And I could understand perhaps if the updates required you to have a subscription and therefore you get the update, but if that update is also released into the wild, at the same day, then what's the point in having the subscription?
0: Well, look at Ardor, for example. If you want to run that, that's free and open source software. But if, if you, because it's free and open source software, maintainers put it into distros. So it's an apt-get or, uh, uh, you know, yum install away, dnf install away, sorry. Um, whereas if you're on another platform like Windows or uh, Mac, then you uh, have to buy the binary. You can still, you can compile it if you are so inclined, but you can pay for it, and that is the business model of Ardor. This is perfect. So what you're saying is that all software, Windows and Mac users should pay for.
4: And we then get it for free. (laughs) Sounds good. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, like I say, the the, the problem is, if, if you can download it for free, people will. But then there are many examples like the Humble Bundles um, and other sort of games and, and uh, Radiohead CD and things like this that they release as a pay-what-you-want. People will pay money if they think it's useful and think it's good. And I I just wonder whether you could make a business case that says, look, big companies and private individuals who have the money will pay for what we use, but you have to take that risk. You know, if if... If Adobe releases it for free and says, you've been, you know, you um, magazine or you sort of uh, um, company that uses uh, photo editing, for example, you know, um, professional photographers, what have you, have been using this all this time. You've been paying us because we've forced you to pay us. We're now asking you to pay us. Do you think people, there's some titters, do
0: you think people would
4: carry on paying or halve their subscription and carry on paying? Well,
0: until they went completely cloud-based, that was essentially their business model. It was, if you don't want to pay for it, you pirate it. And if you want to pay for it, you pay for it. <laughs> so it's, it's basically going back to the old business model. As I say, before the, um, the, this cloud model, where if their servers are down, you can't work for a day. Yeah, I think the problem is software got too good. If it was broken all the time, you'd have to
1: pay somebody to support it. But if it works, well, you don't need to. So it's, s- like, it's like support contracts for Ubuntu. I've got loads of servers that are Ubuntu servers, but I don't pay support contracts for it. works fine. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Make it shitter.
5: <laughs> Snaps.
0: Um, right. Well, it looks like we've run out of shit to say, so it's time for the roaming mic. So stick your hand up if you have got something to add right Yeah. So, I kind of wanted to agree with Phelim's point that, you know, if there's no reason
6: to pay for the software, there isn't. So, the business I work for, we, you know, we Photoshop a lot of pictures, but everything we need to do can be done in Photoshop CS5, so we've never bothered
0: paying for anything newer. So, why would we bother? Well, I have got Photoshop 7, (laughs) which is about 20 years old, which I still use for some things. But is that just because they released it for free on their website? it's because when I bought a desktop many, many years ago, it, there, there was a CD that said updates on it, a burnt cdr and that was one of the things that was on there, so. so... this is kind of the point where it's like, I don't know,
6: five, six years ago, we bought a site license for Photoshop CS5. No one's ever found any real reason for us to purchase a Photoshop CC license, so we've never bothered.
0: Yeah, it works well enough,
6: so why bother... Yeah, exactly, and this is... A couple of hundred people using it, so, like, why so so
4: they should have brought in an annual license that you had to pay for, rather than a one-off. But then, why
0: would we?
6: Why would we bother paying more for this annual license when we've, you know, paid this twenty thousand pounds for this site license that just works and does what we need to do?
0: Well, that's why they've got this new business model because of shops like yours that are doing that. Yeah, exactly.
6: It's, it's why don't you use something else uh, like Krita or GIMP or whatever? Um, Quite frankly, because there's a, they've got a process that they built around Photoshop 15, 16 years ago and it's too much of a business investment to yeah, use anything it. else. Yeah, exactly. There's an entire workflow around So it. the problem there is the fact that we can't compete against it because to retrain everybody would be the cost. Too yeah, important. it's, it's yeah. too well embedded in and we, you know, we hire a lot of university students in who for a university have been using Macs and Photoshop and stuff. So we would then have to pay to train them to use GIMP or whatever.
7: I suppose I'll, uh, I'll counter that with the fact that, um, well, in that case, then we have to uh, go to education then, don't we? Really? Then how do you tackle it at the source? You go to the people who are the students who have learned on proprietary software and hardware that you don't
0: have access to. So therefore you have to start the
7: education side
0: of it. Really? But how do you do that? Do you mandate that they can't use proprietary software like Photoshop and and mandate that they must use GIMP? Oh, no, 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 not at all. A little while ago,
7: I was um, (sighs) money restraints and what have you, couldn't get it off the ground, tried to get business going, wanted a computer shop, but I also wanted it to be more than a computer shop. I wanted to be able to educate. Now, when I went to a business advisor, they said, well, what are you going to do to progress with such a business i was like what do you mean I was like, are you going to do any outreach with that i was like well that's actually a good idea really yeah i would love to be able to do outreach well, flyers was my first idea no 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 you're thinking too small you need to start then contacting the schools and stuff and saying look this is free you don't need to pay this in my knowledge it was 500 pounds for Photoshop you just said 20 grand that's a hell of a step up and now step back down to sod all with Critter now tell me is there much of a difference in learning curve between somebody brand new to Critter and Photoshop
3: failing
1: <laughs>
3: no? if you ever see
1: me edit a picture you know that I have no clue about image <laughs> editing but right, um, okay then. I think the problem is the fact a lot of educational places will get a discount so oh, well, they get, you, you know, there we go. get yeah. it cheap, get you in, get you hooked. Get ignoring, you...
4: ignoring the cost of the bits of software, I think if you're going to educate people so that they can use uh, word processors as the sort of generic term, you don't want them to just use Word. You want them to use Word, whatever the equivalent is on a Mac. You want them to use uh, Abbey Word. You want them to use uh, LibreOffice and things like this so that they don't know the file or the... Uh, what is it? What's that stupid... Uh, the ribbon... They don't know that in the ribbon there is a thing that you have to do in order to get paragraphs or in order to get bullet points. You know that bullet points is a thing and you can find it. And so the idea that you would say we should force force or we, we should we should have them using open source software and free software for the financial point of view, the fact that they're um, uh, subsidized means that the, the cost is is less. But actually what you want is a such a range of software that you don't end up siloed in just the Microsoft way, which is what I have when I went to, uh, went to school and it was always, this is Excel. It should have been, this is a, uh, you know, um, a calculus ability and you can do graphs and you can do uh, formulas and, and what have you, but you get to use a different range of software.
0: Right, can I just ask the audience here, is there anyone here who is working full time on free and open source software? Quite, quite a lot of. Okay. Uh, anyone who's not working for Canonical, <laughs> keep your hand up. All right. And uh, keep your hand up if you are willing to tell us how that, what the business model is. How, how are you making money doing that? Um, basically, anything that gives us the biggest margin is the
7: reason we do it. But um, really, it's, I wouldn't say we all know what we're doing necessarily in our this is, it's a hard way. But we sell whatever product... You refer? that. you
1: <laughs> No. <laughs> no.
7: <laughs> it's a very small company. And uh, basically, we we basically talk to people and go to meetings and whatever else. And whoever offers us the best, better deal uh, for selling products, that's usually what we go for with the biggest margin.
0: So Long-chain sometimes... It's a good model. Sometimes, <laughs> is it proprietary software that you're writing then? It's usually proprietary... For clients, if it's what they're familiar with, why try and make them change so much? You're going to get a lot of bounce back. Right, but, but how do you make money from FOSS then? How, that, that's what I'm driving at here. Is if, if you are writing free and open source software, how are you making money from it?
7: I struggle to... I don't see that side of the market. So I can't see...
0: Okay.
6: So, although despite five minutes ago saying we use Photoshop, we also use a lot of free and open source stuff. So a lot of our back end servers and feeds that go out use Linux boxes. And I think the only way that you really do it is to create a product which is sellable to people. Rather than selling them FOSS, you sell them something produced using Foss. Right. Which doesn't really help the argument of, you know, advocating for FOSS. But I think the only way you make money from FOSS is to create a product that people
0: actually want. And does your company contribute to the Foss products? Uh, well, projects that you use, then
6: no, not really. I mean, we we make use of stuff, but I wouldn't say that we contribute upstream to yeah, or things, or even Q financially. Uh, I mean, we do. I mean, we donate money for so. For example, we use Redis quite heavily, so we you know we donate money to the Redis Redis project. But I can't say that we contribute upstream to Redis. And the
4: problem there is that while that is a, a great thing to have done, and you know making a contribution, but it's a contribution it's not that you are paying the amount that they would be able to sell it to you had that been a closed source program yeah
6: so for example we've got a lot of windows servers which we pay microsoft greatly for but our ubuntu servers we've got support contracts on a lot of the physical boxes with canonical but probably not you know we don't pay a support contract for every single ubuntu server like we do every single
4: windows server
5: Can I just jump in quickly? Yeah, go on. Completely anonymously. (laughs) I don't recognise this person. No. No, I said cheering, don't worry. (laughs) There's a guitar in the corner. (laughs) Don't tempt me. Um, (laughs) Our company's lost quite a bit of money by not contributing to open source software. We've been selling a product that... It's basically been uh, a patched version of a bit of open-source software that we haven't released our patches for upstream because we haven't been uh, obliged to run the GPL because we, re- we ran the service, we didn't uh, uh, distribute it. And the open-source project has moved on. Our patches no longer work with it. <laughs> and we've had to completely rebuild a new system based on a new uh, underlying product, which has cost you know, quite a lot of money and quite a lot of time. Whereas and- if you'd contributed upstream... Exactly, we would have not have this problem at all. We could just do apt get update or yum update, actually. So
1: the new one is that proprietary then? No. So for the new one, will they have learnt their lesson and then upstream stuff?
5: That
3: remains to be seen. Excellent. <laughs> Anyone else? Uh, here we go. Okay, so um, <clears throat> I run a IT company for twelve years. I did, and. Um, I've been an open source advocate for well over 30 years. My first experience out of uh, Linux in general was at MCC Linux, if you can ever remember that, back at Manchester University. A friend of mine ran that, an old mad wolf. <coughs> anyway, so I started up an IT company K, with Linux in mind, and the key thing I found at out with trying to convince people to use free and open source software was not so much, K the competitive technical aspects, but definitely the competitive fiscal aspects. So people like the idea of KRI of being able to uh, work out exactly how much they're going to pay for a month per month for whatever they're going to use. And with the advantage of uh, open source software is you can always plan that ahead as your part of your support. So when you roll in a clear contract KRI, you try and do your support KRI so it's structured among their fiscal lines. And that way KRI, they're quite happy, you're quite happy KRI, you can do the updates in plenty of time and what's more you can migrate them to better solutions in other ways. So my Key aspect of okay, what I used to do with the, uh, my companies is I would sneak in a carrier and do something like swap out their print system for a print server using cups. Okay, they wouldn't notice the difference straight away, but I would say to them, "Okay, I'll be reinventing their print system." Okay, right, And all of a sudden, okay, right, their print jobs never got lost again. Okay, or you know, drivers never got you know uh, corrupted or anything else. That, you know, Windows does two things. Next thing I'd do, Kerri, okay, right, would bring up things like you know, mail servers, mail servers. Okay, right all of a sudden the mail's not got lost, okay, right? all of a sudden okay, right? you're not getting viruses in your mail, and the companies like this kind of stuff, but the key thing is, okay, right? when you bring it in, you bring it in gradually you don't just dump it onto them and kind of say this is what you must use, okay, right? this is all the only no, you've got to use your, your skill and your expertise to use your uh, technical know-how to, to make these heterogeneous systems work together so whether it's Windows, okay, whether it's Mac, whether it's you know Android or, or anything else okay, that you're trying to work with, you have to bleed it in gently. And once you bleed in gently, and they trust you to do that, then you can get your money out of, you know, continue service from the ranks. So.
4: That's a very interesting point. Thank you, that's, that's great. I was, I was pondering the difference between, I mean, how does, how do browsers make their money? Adverts. But you can't put an advert, if you're running Opera.
0: Yes, not Opera.
4: If you're running Opera, then... I mean, the fact that I use it and I don't know how to say it. It's, uh, my brother told me wrong when I was young. Um, if you're running Opera and... Ha- where is their money coming from? They're not putting adverts into my
0: browser, so... No, they have a deal with the search providers, don't they? Page or
4: page. But everyone changes their homepage or their landing page to be... Oh,
5: not, not everyone. The way Opera make money is by doing deals to deliver the Opera software onto particular platforms. So you remember the Nintendo Wii, for example, shipped with Opera? Um, That sort of thing is the way they make money. Firefox make money by getting paid by Google. Um, Chrome and Safari don't make money at all. They're basically lost leaders for the platform that they're on. Internet Explorer's edge these days is the same.
4: Yeah, Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, everyone's learning. And I, I just was was pondering, you know, we're talking about big, big sort of photo editing software. And I was trying to think, maybe we've, we've bitten off more than we can chew from Joe's suggestion when it comes to Adobe. But you might as well aim high, I, I agree. But is there a, another piece of software that I can think of that is smaller or more um, sort of normal person-centric? Because Photoshop is either you're a professional photographer or you're a big company that use it and you're editing um, newspapers and what have you, and whether or not there's another bit of software that the general public would be willing to pay money for, and if you get that number of million people all paying three pounds, you can still run your company, you can still produce your software and you can produce it open source, And uh, you know maybe we should not aim for the biggest thing in the world and, and reel it back, and that's why I thought about browsers, but... Turns out they aren't quite as, uh, <laughs> not such an easy one to go for.
0: Yeah, Glenn on the question.
7: Put it this way, it, I have thousands of pictures. I've always taken pictures, and now I have a child. I've got even more pictures. On Windows, it's a pain in the ass to do, just manage them. On Linux, it's I still do find it a bit of a pain in the ass because when it comes to it, all I actually want to do is just have a, something that will put them in a folder, display them nicely, maybe put them in a slideshow. I don't need loads of editing tools. I don't need to crop, twist, rotate, whatever. Maybe some of them here or there. It doesn't need to be absolutely perfect. I don't need all this histogram. I don't need everything else. Something basic, that would appeal to a lot of people. If you can make that even then multi-platform across tablets, Android, iOS, stuff like that, That could apply to loads of people, loads of families, loads of mothers and fathers, so on and so forth. The list is endless.
4: And then how much would you pay for that?
7: Uh, Well, for myself personally, something basic like that, especially if it's going to be on the Play Store or App Store, then maybe five, six quid. But then when you've got multiple thousands of people that that, that buy said thing like that, then you're earning a lot of money. No,
4: there's loads of free versions.
7: Why would you pay for it? they're still clunky and not exactly as streamlined as I like it it should just be what you see is what you get not look around and so on and so forth yeah go ahead
0: right this would probably better be the last one he's giving me the light this isn't a bloody stand up show
3: (laughs) (laughs) you're not wrong
6: I, th- I think the answer to that, Glenn, is Google Photo. I'm a, a semi-technical user, and I find Google Photo does absolutely everything that me and my wife needs. It's it's a, almost a perfect piece of software.
4: It's proprietary software.
6: But it's proprietary software that does very, very well. I mean, it, it, it does its job so well that I almost don't care that
4: it's proprietary software. I find yeah. it painful when I go to look for a photo and <laughs> I'm on my computer. On if, if I need to go and I'm find a photo of my user, leave. I find it painful that I can't type in station and find pictures of stations and use. Or, it, yeah, or, or, you haven't got
0: machine learning on your computer to. It's painful. It's
4: so I'm, I'm so happy with Google Photos that yeah. I don't bother looking through for things through dates anymore.
0: Exactly right. It's just so good at what it does. Why go anywhere else? I'm sorry to say that, but it's, it's true. <laughs> right, well, we have to bring okay. this to an end. Oh, I'm no. sure we will continue to speak about this um, in the break. But, uh, yeah, thank you, everyone. This has been Late Night Linux at Fuzz Talk Live. Yay.
4: What a belter. Great evening. Uh remember everything up until the end of our um, show. And then, actually, I did remember all the other shows, just that it got a bit fuzzy after that. Uh, but it was great to, to see everyone. There was a bunch of people that were there from last time, obviously, as well as the podcasters, I mean, uh, and some new faces as well. Um, I hope I got to say hello or meet and greet various people. I, I say, got a bit fuzzy. But uh, how, was, how was your first live podcasting experience there, Phelan? It was first, it was live... It was
1: terrifying, but <laughs> I believe I got through it. I may have blacked out partially through, and then it intermittently snipped bits of films in, so
0: if I go mad in the middle of it, then that that'll be why
4: it it didn't come across
0: that way. I thought it did very well, yeah, I didn't even know you were nervous at all man um uh, no, it's just live speaking in front of people <laughs> it's not something I go out for to try and do,
1: but uh. I am actually looking forward to the next time because we'll definitely do it next year. I, I've said it now. Definitely. Oh, oh, you've, you've volunteered me to do it next year. I have, it? I have. Well done, Joe. You did a great job of that. So you should do it again.
0: Yeah. I, I'd i love to do it every month, but it's just, you'd never do it. You know, it's, it wouldn't be special then. So it, it can't really be more than once a year. I don't think.
1: Yeah, no, it was, it was great to see everybody. There was a really cool bunch of folk who turned up and it was great to kind of see the other guys from podcasts too in the flesh again and meet up and, it's really, really, really enjoyed it.
4: Yeah, it's nice being on first, isn't it? Because then you get your podcast, I don't want to say out the way, but you know, you can then properly relax and enjoy the other people and not be thinking, oh, we're about to go on in a second or whatever. So it's it's good. And the other podcasts are great fun. I'm not quite sure how the uh the Ubuntu podcast will go across because there's a lot of code being talked about uh that was on a projector. So it'd be a bit difficult as an audio podcast, but I'm I'm sure they'll make it work
0: oh well, Marius from Ubuntu Fun, who was also there on the mashup show, he filmed it all, and so we're hoping to get it on YouTube. But stay tuned for that. That might take a bit longer than getting the audio recordings out. I wouldn't mind if he accidentally deleted all of the footage that
1: I may be involved in. that would be just fine. <laughs> or just put a, put a black square over you for the whole recording.
2: Well, I mean, if it if it's any consolation to you, right? From where I was sat, you looked great. Ah, oh, thanks, Ike. <laughs> thanks, Ike. You're the best.
0: <laughs> One thing is though that i I feel like I didn't get to talk to people as much as possible because I tried to make it the second time around. I knew more about what I was doing, but still there always seems to be something to do so if you were there and you feel you didn't get to talk to me then I'm sorry I would have loved to have talked to you more but come to OG camp when I'll have much more time to talk to you. You mentioned the mashup show there, which was the last show, which sort of uh,
4: build on, on the evening of an international podcast or podcasters who had international partners or bent or whatever it was. Co-hosts, so, yeah. Co-hosts, yeah, that's the word. And um, is when's that coming out? How's that coming out? Is that coming as a, a Joe rest or what?
0: I haven't fully decided. It depends how much I care about counting the numbers, to be honest, because I can just put it as a, a link on the fosstalk.com site. I've actually done the audio for it. It's ready. IKE's actually listened to it already. So I could publish it shortly after this, but uh, I want to think about it and double check that everything's all right. So I, I don't know. It will be coming out in the next few days, probably, probably on fosstalk.com. But follow me on Twitter or follow Foss underscore talk. Ugh on Twitter can't believe someone's got FosTalk i would have to put another score in anyway follow that on Twitter if you want to find out or uh, we'll mention it on the next episode of Late Night Linux anyway so I suppose with that then we'd better get out of here uh, so yeah we'll be back in a couple of weeks uh, so in the meantime I've been Joe I've been Jesse I've been Phelan and I'm Silakey. see you later